and he's also married to Eve, by the way. And I, I saw them the night they were... Uh, I, saw, I saw the sparks flying anyway. I shouldn't go to that story. Let's give him a welcome now as he comes and shares with us. Thank you very much, guys, for having me here today. I, um, I love coming out of Colac. I love it. Every time I come out here, I look forward to Sundays because it's like the day that I get to hear Pastor Andrew preach. I love hearing Pastor Andrew preach. And I woke up this morning, I was very sad. Because <laughs> I realized I'm not going to hear you preach today. But anyway, let's, let's pray. Thank you, Father God, for your word. For in it, Father God, comes a mighty revelation of who you are and who we are to you. And Lord Jesus, we want to grow closer to you this morning. May we be equipped by your word in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yes. Okay, I just want to start with um, this scripture up here. Um, and it's a little Lego man. I told I was allowed to do Lego at this church. So all the slides will have a little Lego person in them. Uh, that's for Josiah up at the sound desk there. You may see some Star Wars ones coming up soon. All right. <laughs> Amen. We're going to start with this scripture. It's uh, from Galatians, uh, from Paul's letter to the Galatians in four, chapter 4, verse 8 to 9. It says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or are known by God, rather, known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? What I really want to drive home today is actually the part where, it's, where Paul writes, or rather are known by God today. But just before we get on to that, I just said, here's a brief what's going down. If, if you're not familiar fully with the Galatians, Paul was writing to a church in Galatia to Christians who were, well, they were being enslaved again. At the beginning of the letter, Paul says, who has bewitched you? They were going back to serving um, the old regulations to try and get back into heaven, uh, to get into heaven that way. Someone come along and convince the men that they needed to be circumcised. Now, for a grown man to even consider doing that, there must have been some severe convincing going on. And so we, we, we understand that Paul here is he's speaking about you don't, you don't need to go back to the Old Testament because of the amazing work that Jesus Christ has done. So Paul was speaking about the gospel, which means good news. And the good news is that, it's, um, is that Jesus Christ has paid the debt that we owed to a perfect father so that we could be represented as perfect in, in God's eyes through Jesus Christ. And therefore, we get to walk across the bridge into a perfect heaven. So if we have Jesus, we, sh we therefore shouldn't be tied down to trying to, by our own efforts, get back into heaven through those ways. And, um, and so we understand that that's what's going on when you read the book of Galatians. But my question in all of this is, yeah, we know why they needed this message, but how did they get to a place? How do they get to that place? where they needed this message. And it comes down to this. They had forgotten how God knew them. This church had actually forgotten how God knew them. How does, next slide, how does God know you this morning? Now look, we might not be in such an extreme situation this morning that we're considering such things as circumcision to get into heaven here this morning. That might not be what we're struggling with, but the truth is over my 14 years of being a Christian, I have seen that at times 
through my life and through other Christians' lives that there can be sometimes some things that hinder us from really living in the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Sometimes some things can, um, can remove us from experiencing the real freedom that Christ has because along the line we have not realized or we have forgotten how God knows us. So let me break this down for you because, yeah, what does that mean? How does God know you? Just go back a second there, just so I think. So how does God know you? I'll give you an example. Like, how do I know Pastor Andrew? You see, everyone actually has to have something that they know something through. So how do I know Pastor Andrew? Well, I know him through two ways. One, he mentioned, well, two, you stole me. Yeah, I, I know him because uh, he's my, my state youth director because I work for the CRC, uh, Kingston City Church, through, this, uh, through that organization. And he's my state youth director. So I got to know him. I got to learn from him, glean from him. That's why I look forward to Sundays in Colac. I get to, I, I've known him through that avenue, but also I've got to know him because I married Eve, and Eve comes from this church. But not only that, you see, Eve also comes from a heritage point of being a peach, and it turns out that a peach has a massive long line (laughs) of people who are joined to the peach family. And I came along, and turns out, ha, so is Pastor Andrew, (laughs) who would figure. We're family now, you know, that's loud. You know, and so I guess it's becoming part of that line that I, I really got to become friends with Pastor Andrew. So we moved on from just him being my state youth coordinator, but he's also my friend now. And, and now we can get to that slide there. You see, why we need to know how we know someone is because how you know someone equals your relationship to that person, which equals your position to that person. Now, as a state youth director, Andrew may ring up and say, can I get you to preach here or can I get you to implement this program uh, because you need help here? Um, <laughs> um, but as a friend, he gets to have me in his phone book, not just a friend on Facebook, but he gets to ring me up and say, Chris, do you want to catch up and watch a movie this weekend? You see, there's more to it than just being a colleague. He becomes someone in a different position because of his relationship. So this is why this is important to know how we know someone. Because once you know someone, you know your relationship to that person and that relationship determines your position to that person. Let's unpack this because, oh, it's beautiful. Once you know how God knows you, you're going to be blown away. You're going to be blown away because even though it's such a small revelation, it's actually a massive revelation. Let's go to the Bible. It's a good starting point. We're going to look at the prodigal son today, the parable of the lost son. So Luke chapter 15, there you go, Josiah, little stormtroopers for you, two of them, in fact, because they're brothers. See, we got Luke 15, chapter, sorry, chapter 15, 11 through to 14. Let's have a look at this. Jesus continued that there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property uh, between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, so all of the estate that he'd been given, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So a lot of us will be familiar with this story, but let's just 
let's just sit in it for a moment today because sometimes, you know, the Bible's living. It's a living Word of God, so we're always receiving something new from it. And so this is what we're realizing here today is what we're seeing here is a son who is saying to his father, all I want from you is your money. This son is saying, all I w- effectively, I wish you were dead because I want your inheritance which comes when you die. All I want from you is your money. How beautiful would that be to hear from your child? Years ago, <laughs> when I was in year 11, I can remember waking up one fine morning. Now, I can't remember exactly what I wanted, but all I knew is that morning I wanted something, or I wanted to do something, or I thought I had the right to something, and my mum and dad were not letting me have what I wanted. And I can remember being furious with them. I don't know why I'm telling this story in front of my father-in-law, but anyway, I remember waking up that morning and thinking, why won't you give me what I want? Now, it was a school morning, and I, I lived 25-minute walk to school from where we were in Gladstone, Harbour Town in central Queensland. And we lived in a two-story house, all the bedrooms upstairs. And to get out of the house, you obviously you would go downstairs. To get out of the house, you would go downstairs, grab your bags, and you'd walk through the rumpus room, open the sliding doors, go into the carport, out into the street, and then I would walk my regular 25-minute walk to work. But this morning, I was heated. I was angry because I could not have something that I wanted. And I can remember that morning, just I grabbed my lunch, I walked down the stairs, I was in a fit of rage, I chucked my lunch into my bag, and as I'm walking through the rumpus room and looked up to the sliding door, I saw a row of every key that my mum and dad has to the house and to the cars and even the boat. And I'm walking there and I'm thinking, this will teach them. And I can remember starting at the top, taking every key. We had two cars and a boat. We took, I took two car keys. I'll take the spare keys as well. That'll teach them. I'll, I even took the boat keys. I took every key that the house had, I put them in my bag, zipped it up, and I opened up the sliding door, passed the cars, out onto the street, and I walked on my 25-minute walk to school as I usually would. I had every key. And mum and dad had not yet left the house, obviously. (laughs) You know what? It only took me five minutes down the road. I'm walking, and I guarantee you, five minutes into my walk, it's a normal day. I'd completely forgotten that I was mad mum and dad. I'd completely forgotten what it was that I wanted, and I just whistled on way to school. You know know when you're at school, everyone has that place where you hang out with your friends, and that's where you eat lunch? So recess is in the same spot, and lunch is in the same spot. You do it in the same spot for an entire year while you're in that grade. Everyone's been there. We've done that when we're in school. And anyway... My group of friends, well, we ate recess and lunch at outside the science labs, the senior science labs, which just so happens to be, so that's the block of science labs, and it just so happens to be right next to the office, the main office to the school, which were glass doors on either side, so you could see straight through the glass doors. It's a great day, completely forgotten about in the morning. I'm having lunch, uh, sorry, recess, eating the foods, probably trying to look good in front of my friends, telling a funny story, and then 
a taxi comes in <laughs> through the front gates and I'm like, oh, taxi, whatever. So I'm just eating, laughing, having fun and just in the corner of my eye, the taxi pulls up right in front of the reception and then the door opened and mum got out and I'm like, that's my mum. And then dad got out. I can still picture the redness in his face. He was so angry. His eyes, I swear they had flames. <laughs> and they don't know where we eat lunch. And I'm sitting here thinking, it's, it's useless because there'll become an announcement anyway. There's no point in moving. I might as well just stand here petrified. And they walked up the stairs into reception. And of course, you know what? We've been eating there all year long. So the reception ladies, they know exactly where Chris Davis sits and eats his lunch. I can remember it, thinking just, if I stay perfectly still, maybe everything will go away. <laughs> and then I saw it inside, the reception lady. I can remember it. She went like this. And the eyes, boom, straight at me. Oh, it was like Dragon Ball Z or something. <laughs> Mum and Dad walked around reception desk and they opened up the glass doors and they walked out. Now, I had a group of probably about 10, 10 friends, a core group of 10 friends in that. And we're all sitting there huddled in a circle. And Dad just walked, Mum and Dad just walked straight up to the edge of the group. And all he said was, Go and get them. I didn't say a word, I just... <laughs> straight off to the main building where my classroom was, through the classroom, got to my locker, opened my bag, yes, of course, there's all the keys. I grabbed the keys out and I'm walking, like, that would have taken me a good three or four minutes to get there. So, I mean, like, my, my friends, I can just visualise, I sit there going, this is awkward. <laughs> Mr. Davis, good day, don't ask that. <laughs> I came back and I just, his hands were ready for them and I just put all the keys into his hand and he just said one line, he goes, wait till you get home. <laughs> and I watched them hop back in the taxi and drive off and I had one friend, Mark, who's sitting there going, <laughs> I was not feeling the same way. You know, it's moments like this from my past. Don't worry, I'll finish the story in a minute. It's moments like this from my past where I reflect and I go and I, I begin to grasp just small glimpses of who this prodigal son could have been like. You know, I wasn't nice to my father all the time. I definitely wasn't as nice to him as I am to my father-in-law. <laughs> You know, I gave my dad living hell growing up sometimes. I was a good son and, um, at times. But, um, but I, I, through this story, I, I, I start to get a glimpse of who Jesus is, is speaking to here. We read on in verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a civilian of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. This is a low point. It's really trying. If you were a Jewish person hearing this at that time in life, I'm like, you knew you weren't allowed to eat pig. So for someone to be in a place where they are that desperate, that they would even eat a forbidden meat, Jesus is really trying to narrow in that this guy is in a desperate place. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, love that the Bible put that in there. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. What I want you to really take note of in this scripture is that the son realized his whole situation. And he said this, he said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. In fact, make me like someone who's not part of your intimate circle, your family, your blood. Because I don't deserve, I've realized what I've done now, I actually don't deserve to be your son. I don't deserve to be your family. Just make me like someone just on the outside because I know you to be a good man and just even on the outside, I can be well looked after. He's getting an idea of what's going on. He's thinking, I have ruined my opportunity at being a son. It's gone. I can't ask for that. You know, I told you it takes 25 minutes to walk home or walk to school. That afternoon when I left, it took me more than an hour (laughs) to get home. One foot in, like, touching the next. And I would sometimes walk home with friends. I did not walk home with friends that day. I was thinking, cycling over and over in my mind about all the possible ways I could get out of this. Or all the ways of, of, of punishment of discipline that I was going to get. I was convinced. I'm like, that's it. My dad is going to ground me for a year, maybe two. Like, I am not going to see any of my friends. In fact, that was the last time I got to see them, was that day. I was petrified. I was in fear all the way home. I even tried to cycle through ways I could be like, it's your fault. And I'm like, no, no, I'm sorry. I should never have said that. You know, I I couldn't get this out of my mind. And when I got home that night, Dad wasn't home already, so I just went and I sat in my room in anticipation, waiting and waiting. And then the lights came through the rumpus room, through the carport, and Dad came in. And when Dad entered the house that night, it did not go how I anticipated. Let's finish the story. Next slide. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled 
with compassion for him. He ran to his son. So Jesus is telling us this story. Imagine Christ himself, the Messiah, God Most High, telling us this story. What's going on here? He ran, the father ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, I love it, quick, bring me the best robe and put it on him. The best robe that I have. Put a ring on his finger. I know what that means now, being a married man. It means unending commitment. Put a ring back on my son's finger and sandals on his feet that he would not be naked underneath. Bring the fattened calf. Let me provide for him with the best calf. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they celebrated. Celebrate. This son pretty much destroyed his father's heart. He left him. We don't have any idea how long the, the son was away. But I, I don't know. But if I was, if I was, to, I mean, I've been away from my mum and dad for so long. I miss them in, terribly living down here in Victoria because they're in Queensland. You know, we don't know how many years the father was sitting there going, I can't be with the one I love. He's disgraced his father in front of his family and friends. So much hurt was going on through this act. And yet the father chose to celebrate. Why? That night, when dad walked in and he saw me, that night, he acted as if nothing had happened. He just, in fact, loved on me. He didn't treat me with any harshities at all. Now, my dad was one to discipline, and he was one to teach, and he was one to correct. So I knew that night that it was a decision that my dad had made to treat me like nothing had happened. And that ate me up inside. <laughs> years and years later, from having locked my father out of his own cars and boat, and countless other stories where I had hurt him time and time again, I finally I got it. I got perspective this year, the right perspective. Because you see, this year, for the first time ever, I became a father. <laughs> can we just show the first? This, uh, this is my little girl, Ella Bonnie. She's here today, so you can see her. She, I just, I love her, my little Ella Bonnie. The night that she arrived, I cannot fully describe it to you, but anyone who's a father, you would grasp it, and a mother, you would grasp it. I can't fully describe it, but all I can tell you is that a love came to me that was irreversible. Yeah? An irreversible love entered my life that night. My little Ella, get this, right? She hasn't achieved anything of great significance in her life yet. You know, in fact, because she is so young, I can literally list off to you her great achievements. Check this one out. This is her first day alive. 
Well done, Ella. Second one, this is her first bath. Like she didn't even do it, we did it. Next one, this is her first bow. That was a great day. We took a photo. Hey, you wore a bow for the first time. Her first, next one, her first beard. All right, maybe that's fake. Next one, her first Shakespeare lesson. Oh, we recited Othello. It was great. The next one, her first dream of roller coasters. There's no turning back, Ella. Well, you know what? My point is that she hasn't done much yet. But here I am holding absolute love for this little girl. Why? It's because of how I know her. Ella is my daughter. She's my daughter. I love her. See, Ella knows me as her father. I hope. She's still young. <laughs> but she will. I got, a I got a birthday card last week from Ella, and it says, For your birthday, Daddy, I wish that I could say Daddy. Yeah. She still hasn't said it. <laughs> you know, Ella knows me as her father. So what does this mean for Ella if I'm her dad? It means so many things. Because I'm her father, it means that Ella has someone there who will provide for her, who will protect her, who will rock her to sleep, who will sing to her songs out of key because I can't sing. I will play with her, change her nappies, walk with her, help her talk, take her everywhere that she needs to go because I am her dad. If she falls over, I will put a band-aid on there unless Eve's already done it. She has a father and that's how she knows me. See, the Galatians, they had forgotten who they were to God that they've forgotten their position to him, their relationship to him. So they were deceived into robbing themselves from the full freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. Let's look at who we are to God as we get ready to end. In Ephesians 3, 6, it says this, This mystery is that through the gospel, so through the good news of Jesus Christ, the Gentiles are are heirs together with Israel. He effectively just named every human being because Gentiles are those who aren't Israelites and Israelites are mentioned too there. So effectively God is saying everyone um, can be through Christ, through the good news, members together of one body and share us together in the promise in Christ Jesus. What is this promise? Next slide. It's Ephesians 2.12 lets us know that consequently, consequently you are no longer foreigners. That boy, when he came back, he wasn't treated as a foreigner, even though he'd done wrong by God. And he's not a stranger, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. God is bringing us home to the most prestigious position in the house. Next slide, Josiah. We heard it from Pastor Andrew this morning. I love this verse. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Children born, I love it, not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. God's view is even deeper than flesh and blood or a husband's will. He's born. He's wanting us to be born of Him. This is the most amazing news of the gospel. Last slide. We are His children. It's such a simple revelation, yet the, the ramifications of this is massive. Let me unpack it just for two seconds for you. You see, when my, when my little girl Ella was born this year, mum and dad came down about a month later, and anyone who's had kids knows that when you've got a baby in the house, that priorities change. Okay, so, I mean, I like to be clean. I love a clean house. Okay, um, it's not that I'm forcing Eve to clean all the time. I get in and clean too. All right, so clean, I love a clean place. But when Ella came, I was still working. Okay, and so I, I, couldn't, I couldn't attend to every single thing that the house needed doing. The cars hadn't even been washed. And I remember on the very last day that my mum and dad were there, I, um, I went to work and I came home that afternoon around 4.35 o'clock. And, and when I came into the house... I knew how I left it in the morning. I walked in and the unit was just in order. The, the floors had been swept. I went into the bathroom. The bathroom was sparkling. You could smell like that um, fresh bleach smell, the, the nice one, not the hospital grade one. <laughs> Turns out Dad had found an old toothbrush and he'd even cleaned like, anyway, you know when you clean a house. <laughs> Turns out we had light bulbs in our house well, we had lights in the house, so we didn't even know we were there. We kept on flicking the switch and nothing happened, so we're like, oh, well, we don't have a light. Dad had gone and fixed all these lights outside, inside, everywhere. Like, the whole house was completely in order. Not only that, I walked past Eve's car, and it was shining. She, he had gone and washed Eve's car as well. And I had this moment where I'm like, I have caused you so much pain. I've caused you so much pain. If he could write a list of reasons why not to do all that. But it's because he is my dad. And I am his child. Can we have the band just to come back up here as I, I close here? This is why Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. It's also, I love this moment. This is the clencher, right? It's also why when the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. You see where I'm going with this? What was the first thing Jesus did when he was teaching them how to pray? He said, our Father. He wants us to know and address God as our Father, because this revelation, when you know it, you start to realize that it goes beyond punishment. It goes beyond the discipline that may be needed in that very moment. My dad, you see, he was, he was very good at discipline. He was very good at teaching. He was very good at correcting. But 
He did his best for me growing up to discern through wisdom when was the right time to apply discipline and when was the right time to apply grace. And if my dad did that to try and raise me up to become a mature man of God, how much more so a heavenly father who has complete, not lacking at all, wisdom. And when I got this revelation, this one hurt. I woke up one night and I had this moment where the Holy Spirit said to me, Chris, did you know I've never punished you? You know what? In my life, God's never been the one who punished me because he punished Jesus Christ. Not that he's not against discipline. He does it in a beautiful, loving way. But the reason why he punished Jesus for us, multiple reasons, so we can get into heaven, but also because he never wants anything to ever stop us from coming to him. He never wants us to be in a place where we're sitting in the church and we're like, I can't go forward for prayer. I know I'm not right. I'm not in this place. Paul said, that we would, he wanted us to know the height, the depth. That he goes, not, I am convinced that not even nakedness could keep us from the love of the Father. You see how amazing God is that he would punish Jesus so that we would come to him and he would not hold that against us. He is the most ultimate loving Father that anyone could ever have. And He wants nothing to stop us. And as we come to Him through the Holy Spirit, over time, He changes us. Let Him do the changing. Let you do the coming. Amen? Can we... Yeah, that's it. Let's just pray. Let's pray. And you know what? If you, I don't know what you do on a, on a Sunday, but if you want to come forward for prayer, I'll happily pray. I love to pray. And I'm sure Andrew will and the team, whoever's here. But let's go into a final song and let's have our hearts not separated, but completely there saying, I know you want me this morning, Father God. We pray, may this be a glorious week. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.